Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Last week we saw that Jesus, he took five loaves and two fish, and out of that meager amount, he created food for over 5,000 people. He fed his people. He, he proved that, that he is God. He's the creator. He's able to create something out of nothing. And then right after that, we see that Jesus, he gets in the boat with his disciples, and, and he secured their safety. He kept them safe to the end. He brought them from the middle of the storm. He walks on water. He gets in the boat. As soon as he steps in the boat, he brings them safely to shore. And really, we saw how Jesus ultimately, he satisfies, he secures us. He's the one who gives us all that we need, who keeps us in himself. So this week's a continuing on. The, the people have, have followed Jesus. They wondered, where did he go? Jesus went across to the other side of the lake. They wonder, where, where did he go? And so they all get in boats. They go over there, and they're looking for him because they want him to do things for him. And so that's where our passage picks up today. Look in John 6. We'll be reading verse 30 to 59. This is God's holy inspired word for us today. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep my pages on here. Our father ate the manna in the wilderness. Let's see if I can continue to read at least. <laughs> As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
Then the Jews disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Let's, let's pray for God to help us this morning. God, you desire to make your word known. You desire to impart hope and life. You desire to feed us from your word. God, may we feed on you. Jesus, may we feast on your word. May we feast on who you are and who we are in you. May we, may we not look to any other source. And God, help us to not be too distracted by the cold, by the wind. Help us not be distracted by everything else going on in life. Lord, help us see you for who you are. Feast on you. Receive the bread you have for us. Enable me to preach by your Holy Spirit. Enable all of us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. That's great, thanks. Tom is a great practical servant. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. I'm going to clip my notes here so they don't fly away. Awesome. Sam Shepard, he was a playwright, a writer, an actor, a director, a producer. He was an Oscar nominee, a Pulitzer Prize winner. He produced over 50 plays. He acted in dozens of films. His biography groans with tons of accomplishments. And there's books about him. Academic treatises were written about his art, a Cambridge companion to his work, critical exegesis of his themes, analysis of his stagecraft, Shortly before he died, just a few years ago, he wrote of all that he had done. And he said, the funny thing about having all this so-called success is that behind it is a certain horrible emptiness. All this stuff is happening, and yet it's not what you're after. Even though they're relatively successful, talking about his books and the plays, his book is sold out, the play is sold out, the book is doing well, and yet it's not the thing. And then you're left, there's this feeling, what is it then? After all he'd accomplished, after all he'd done, after how famous he had become in his circles, he still found that, that life was empty. Tennis star Andre Agassi, he, he wrote something similar. He says, now that I've, I've won a slam... I know something very few people on earth are permitted to know. A win doesn't feel as good as a loss feels bad. And the good feeling doesn't last as long as the bad, not even close. His 
co-worker, Boris Becker. He says, I had won Wimbledon twice before. Once as the youngest player, I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they're so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. So often in life, we go searching for that which never really satisfies in things that were never meant to satisfy. So often in life, most of us are more like this crowd that was following Jesus than we'd like to admit. We're we're more like those who say, yes, Jesus, that's really good. Thank you for doing this for us. Thanks for giving us a sign. Thanks for showing us who you are. But Jesus, could you really just give us all that we need in this life? I'm guilty of the same thing when I'm I'm dreaming of, you know, it'd be really nice just to win the lottery, just so I could have all my provisions in life taken care of. But, you know, aside from the whimsical desires, we, we live with these latent desires for Jesus, would you just do something more to satisfy us? And we fail to see that he is the one that's meant to satisfy you see, see, John here, he's, he's sharing this account specifically because he wants us to see, he wanted his readers to see, he wants us to see that, that so often in life we are like the crowds, we go searching for Jesus to give us things to satisfy us, and yet Jesus wants to give us himself. And so John really, he's confronting us with a question. I think the question that John wants us all to consider, that each and every person here should consider, is what kind of bread are you seeking? You see, he's talking about bread, but he's not really talking about physical bread alone. Jesus did the miracle of making bread, feeding over 5,000 people, but he did that so they could see that he was their supply. And yet they still wanted him to supply all their daily needs, and that, that was what they really wanted. They didn't want him. They wanted the things he could give them. And so the question for us, the question for the readers and that we see that gets answered in, in verse 30 to 36, or really that we're challenged with, is really whose bread or what kind of bread are you seeking? What kind of food are you seeking to be satisfied with? See, they were demanding more signs of him. He had, he had, just, he had just made food for somewhere at least 5,000 men. We, we think it was probably between ten and 15,000 people because they didn't count the women and the children in that day. So he is, he is fed this many from, from really five loads to uh, two fishes. And yet they come to him and they say, what sign then do you give us that we may see you and believe? They had already been given the sign to show that he was God. And it says earlier in, in verse 26 that, that they'd seen many signs that he'd already done. He, he had already done many signs before them. He'd already healed the sick. And that's why they were following him in the first place. That's why the crowds gathered. They had seen all these signs that he had done. And then they saw this miraculous sign of him making bread. But yet now, they're demanding more before they're going to believe. They say, what work do you perform? You know, we saw in the Old Testament that Moses... Now, they got it wrong here, but Jesus corrects them. We saw that Moses in the Old Testament, he fed the people of Israel. What greater thing do you do if you're supposedly the greater prophet? What greater sign do you give us? And we really want more. And it's almost like they had selective amnesia. They seemed to forget that that Jesus had already shown them. I I don't think that they're alone in that. I think that we are like that. We have selective amnesia at times. We can forget 
the most important thing that Jesus has done for us. We can forget all that he has done for us, and we can say, Jesus, though, you know, if I'm really going to believe in day-to-day life, I want more. Could you show me more? And, and really, in this day, the, the question was, did they, how did they not believe? How, did, how were they asking for another sign? They'd already seen the utterly miraculous. But they asked him, what do you perform? So they might see and believe. And sometimes we ask that same question. Jesus, well, you know, in our daily lives, thanks for all you've done in my history. Thanks for how you saved me. Thanks for what you've done. But Jesus, what, what else can you perform that I might continue to believe? And so they, they share that our fathers gave us man in the wilderness. And we want more. Now Jesus corrects that notion because it wasn't Moses who was the great one in the Old Testament. Moses was just the means that God used to to bring the people to the place where they needed to go. Moses was just the one who God used to bring them into the wilderness where they needed to see that they had nothing apart from God. But they they failed to see that. And instead, they think Moses is the one who provides it. And Jesus corrects them. Look down at verse 32. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You know, that gift that you saw in the Old Testament, that gift wasn't from Moses. That gift was from God because Moses didn't somehow make manna come down from heaven. God makes manna come down from heaven. And by the way, that was meant to point to the true manna, which is me. And that's what he tells them. He says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Bread of God's not a thing. You're looking for things to satisfy. He says, you're looking for daily provision You're looking to so that you don't have to work, so things are easy, so that you're looking for the kind of Messiah that makes your life easy. You're looking for the kind of Messiah that makes it so that you don't have to labor every day to have food. But Jesus says, I I, want to give you true bread. You need to rely on me. It's not an idea. It's not a thing. It's a person. The bread is he who is alive and comes down from heaven. The bread of God is, is, is a person, is Jesus Christ, who gives life to the world. The word is bread, according to John. John 1.14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus is saying that, that I am this word, I am the one who's come down, and, and, and man shall not live by bread alone, as he told the devil when he tried to tempt him in the wilderness. Jesus says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and yet Jesus is that word. Jesus is the bread of life. So they're still missing it. In verse 34, they say, well, sir, give us this bread always. We don't, we don't want to work for this every day. We, we want every day to be easy. We want you to provide for us. Just give us this bread all the time. They're still missing it, so he makes it even more clear in verse 35. He says something. He says, I am. Now, they should have picked up on that statement. In the English, we, we probably don't pick up on that statement, but that's the same wording whenever we have those I am statements in, in the Septuagint, the, the Greek Old Testament, the, the Greek version. It's the same wording that's used here in the New Testament. There's seven I am statements that John gives. This is the first of them where he says, I am. And it's meant to draw attention to him being God, the, the great I am. And he says, I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
Now, what's he saying? Is he saying that there, there's something physical that they can pick up and put in their mouths? Well, clearly not. When, when Jesus is speaking to them, he's offering himself. But he's not talking about a physical hunger. He's not saying that when they come to Jesus, they're never going to need to eat physical food again. He's saying for those listening to him that, that, that bread, which is a fundamental necessity of life for the people he's speaking to, by the way. You see, most people had bread as part of their daily diet. They, they relied on bread. It was the staple of life. It was their primary source of nourishment. In fact, in that day, the, the word for bread actually could, could also be, be translated more generally to refer to food or a meal. And so when some, somebody says, hey, do you have bread? What they mean is, hey, do you have food? And so Jesus is speaking to people for whom bread is a basic necessity and a daily provision, a daily part of their lives where they, they need that to have enough calories to be able to work. And so Jesus, what he's saying to these people is, I am the fundamental thing you need for a nourishment to live. I'm what you need every day. I, I am a necessity of life. I'm what you need to consume to live. Otherwise, you won't have enough to live. I'm the bread that supplies life. He says, I'm bread of life. But he is also the bread who is the source of life. He is, he is the bread that, that ever satisfies. And yet they were coming and seeking a different kind of bread. They were coming and seeking daily provision. The question for us is, what kind of bread are we looking for? They were looking for daily provision of physical bread. But really, it was looking for financial stability, security, ease, comfort. We look for all those things. Sometimes we can, we can look for bread or source of satisfaction and comfort in all kinds of things. We can look for daily sustaining in our family. We can look for our, our friends to comfort us, to be enough, to satisfy us. We can look to moms and dads and daughters and sons. We can look to the bread of accomplishment as if what that is what will satisfy us. We can, we can look to the bread of honor or prestige instead of the bread of Christ whose glory will never fade and never fail. We can look to the bread of money, but the reality is, is that moth and rust will cause all of our possessions to decay. We can look to the bread of appearance, but that will fade. We can look to the bread of, of mentions or tweets, looking for people to recognize us, to be noticed, to be impressive, to be liked, instead of the bread of knowing that he ultimately is the one who has noticed us, who's drawn us, who likes us. What kind of bread are we looking for? He says he is the bread of life. He is the one who gives drink that will always satisfy, will never be thirsty again. There's a deep hunger and thirst in the human heart for something to satisfy, for something to fulfill. He's speaking here about uh, satisfying our deepest longings, our satisfying the desires that we have to fill the emptiness in life with true meaning so that we don't ask at the end, what is it? He's speaking about thirst for, for never being dry or parched in life. Now, 
nothing else will ever truly satisfy. Nothing else will truly fulfill. Nothing else will truly quench our thirst. The question is, where are we looking for bread? Bruce Milne, I, I love how he looks at this passage. He says, in a society that's experimented to the point of satiation or fullness with every form of material, physical, and spiritual palliative to fill the inner emptiness of its heart, Jesus' invitation, I am the bread of life, comes with wonderful relevance. It was relevant then, it's relevant today, when Jesus says, come to me, I'm the bread of life. What kind of bread will you seek? Unfortunately, look down at verse 36. The crowd didn't respond very well. At least most of them did not. They had Jesus right in front of them. He'd already demonstrated that he could make bread. He could provide. He's the creator. And yet in verse 36, he says, But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you don't believe. Sometimes I used to think, you know, if I just saw Jesus, it would make things easier. And yet Jesus says to those who've seen him, he says, you saw me, and yet do not believe. Why is that? How is that? How can somebody see Jesus? How can they see all the things he's done? How can they behold his provision, see that he's the bread of life, and yet not believe? And then the other question is, how do some believe? How, how do some believe at all? If, if these people who saw Jesus didn't believe, how is that? But then if these people who saw Jesus didn't believe, how does anybody John anticipates that question for us, and he has a little aside in verses 37 to 47. He's not, he's not left the topic at hand. In fact, he's explaining how belief comes and how belief happens, how we receive this bread, and it's meant to be an assurance to all those reading who do believe. It's meant to be an assurance to all those hearing who do believe. And it's also meant to be an explanation when when. You share the gospel when you share this good news. Why do some people not believe? And so Jesus, in verse 37, he says, All the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. And what, what he's explaining really in verses 37 and 47 is that in order to eat, you have to be gifted by God to Jesus, and you're drawn to the Father. I mean, drawn by the Father to Jesus. He says, All that the Father gives me, it's conditional. If the Father doesn't give them, they don't come to the Son, is what he's saying. But all that the Father gives me will come to me. And then the promise is, whoever come, whoever respond, whoever come to me, I will never cast out. It doesn't mean that faith isn't necessary as a response to the gospel. No, what it's saying is that, that the Father gives people to the Son, they come in response, and they have faith in response, and then as they come in faith, Jesus makes a promise he will never cast out. There's an amazing assurance here that Jesus gives to everyone who comes to him. They'll never be cast out. Have you ever felt like God doesn't want anything to do with you? you ever felt like Jesus wants to cast you out or you should be cast out because of maybe your sin or your failures or your weakness? You're meant to look at this and see, wait a minute, if I've come to him in faith, that means that the Father has given me to Jesus. And if I've come to Jesus, that means, he says, it's not about my perfection, it's not about my earning, it's about the gift of, of me to the Father, like 
Your father says, I'm choosing this gift for you, Jesus. I'm picking it out. I'm giving it to you. And then we've been given to Jesus, and we come in faith. And Jesus says, if you've come to me, I'll never cast you out. No matter what happens, it's not about your performance. I'll never cast you out. And he says, explains why. In verse 38, he says, For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose no one. I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. Leon Morris says, the salvation Jesus brings is no ephemeral thing. It's ultimate and final. This thought is of the greatest comfort to believers. Their assurance is not based on their feeble hold on Christ, but on his sure grip on them. He goes on to explain, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And yet the Jews, they're still having a hard time. They're still stuck on the fact that Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and they're grumbling. They're like, well, we know where he's come from. We know his history. We know his background, but they don't really know. So they're continuing to grumble, and Jesus answers them, and he corrects them, and he says, don't grumble in verse 43. And he tells them why they shouldn't grumble. Don't grumble about how this can be. I get it. Don't grumble because you know what? Look in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then he says, I will raise him up on the last day. What he's saying is don't grumble. I understand this is hard for you to understand. And the reason it's hard for you to understand is the Father has not yet drawn you. And yet Jesus is calling them. And the prerequisite for people coming to Jesus is that the Father first draw him. He says, no one. This is, this is exclusionary. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, here's the good news. If you are hearing this word this morning, if you've heard the word of God, if you have wanted to respond to Jesus, if you are hearing the call to respond, then the Father is drawing you and, and you are being called to come. And the promise that we have is that if we come to the Father, then he will raise us up. Jesus will raise us up on that last day. Our surety, our security is never about our belief to begin with. It's the fact that he draws us, he calls us, he's gifted us. And that as we believe, as we come to him, we're, we're promised that he will keep us secure to the end. In his grace, all those who the Father draws will come to the Son. And he continues on, he says that everyone is like it's written in the prophets will be taught by God. Everybody who comes to me and is drawn, they have to first be taught by God. Everybody who's heard and learned from the Father, those are the ones that are going to come to me. And he says they don't hear that directly, just I'm, I'm the only one who has. But then he gives us this wonderful promise. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So there's no excuse for us. There's no excuse for wondering, are we called? Will he, will he draw us? Has he drawn us? Does he want us to come? No. He, here, here it is true. It's, it's plain. Whoever believes has eternal life. Will you respond? If you've eaten the bread of life, how does it affect you? How does it affect you to know that you've been gifted and drawn by the Father, that you've been given to the Son, that you've been drawn so that you might believe?
How does it affect you to know that, that he will raise you up on the last day if you've come to him? Earthly food, it, it only sustains life on earth, and nothing we turn to for food in this life will give us life, but ultimately result in death. And all the things of this earth that we consume ourselves with or consumed by, they ultimately will result in death. So what's the answer? Well, Jesus gets back to it in verses 48 to 58. He gets to it, and he's even more explicit now. Even though they have pushed back on him and they're stumbled by the fact that he's saying bread, he makes it even more clear. He's not just saying he's bread. He's saying he's the kind of bread that they have to feast on. They have to feed on like a feeding frenzy. It's that kind of wording. He says, I'm the kind of everlasting bread. I'm not the bread that only satisfies for a little while, like the fathers of Israel who ate bread for a little while and they still died. I'm the bread that gives eternal life. That once you eat me, you'll, you'll never die. I'm the bread that, that all satisfaction is in. Jesus speaking of his choosing to give his own body in place of all those who believe in him. Now, they didn't understand it yet because it hadn't happened. For us, John's readers, Jesus is he's speaking prophetically about the fact that, that he has come and he is going to offer his body as his flesh as a substitute for our flesh. That his body is, is not just a substitute in all the good things that he did, how he earned the right to be called a child of God and then gave that to us, but also as a substitute in our place, his body was to be given on the cross, his flesh sacrificed for us. His blood poured out for us. And the Jews, they are scandalized. Look down in verse 52. They, it says, they disputed among themselves... They were grumbling, they were murmuring, they were disputing. They say, how can this man give us his flesh? Is he talking about cannibalism here? That's gross. What is he talking about? Is he talking about giving his, how can he do that? They weren't even supposed to eat meat with blood in it, much less a human. But I think they understood he was talking metaphorically, they just didn't understand how. So Jesus, he doesn't skirt the topic, he doesn't back away. He actually presses in even more. Look in verse 53. He says, truly I say to you, truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That, that term he uses for feeding, it's a, it's a graphic term. Instead of just the word for eat, he's already used. He said, whoever feeds, it's this, it's this word for for eating with gusto. A noisy feeding, a munching, a crunching. It's energetically eating, feeding on his flesh and drinking his blood. As if it's what we must have to survive. You know, why do animals go on a feeding frenzy? They go because they're hungry and they're desperate. They fight over food because that, that might be the last food they'll get, so they fight. They go into a feeding frenzy, and Jesus says, you're to approach me that way, to feed on me as if I am absolutely all you have and all you will ever have. And be satisfied in me because I'm the one who will sustain you for all of life. 
All of our life rests in believing in Jesus as the once and for all atoning sacrifice of his flesh and blood for our sins. And then he says, in, in, in this truth you live. As you live, as you abide. As you make your home in this truth that Jesus is what you truly need, that his flesh and blood are the only thing that will ever satisfy the deepest cravings of your heart. As you live in that good news, then he abides in us, and we abide in him. And we'll live because of him. And he explains where this life comes from. He says, as the living father, the one who created life, the eternal source of life, the living father, sent me, and I live because of the father, he says in verse 57, so whoever feeds on me, as you feed on me, I'm, I am ever living. And as you eat the ever living Jesus, he will also live forever because of him. If we receive Christ, we have his life and we'll live forever because of him. His bread is available for all as well. It says whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. We all desire life, John Calvin said, but in seeking it, we foolishly and perversely wander. We wander about in digressions. And even when it's set before us, the most part is rejected as distasteful. For who does not invent for himself a life outside Christ? And how many are satisfied with Christ alone? It is no superfluous repetition, then, for Christ to state so frequently that he alone suffices to give life. For he claims the title of bread for himself to tear from our hearts. Did you get that? He says he claims the title of bread for himself to tear from our hearts all fictitious hopes of living. He is the life-giving bread. What will you choose to eat, the bread of this world or the bread of life? The bread of family, the bread of friends, the bread of things, or the bread of life? I love the old hymn that reads, this is all my hope and stay, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes it white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Today, God would have all of us remember who the true bread is. Where our true satisfaction, our true food lies. It doesn't lie in what you can do. So therefore, when you fail, you shouldn't fret or be discouraged or depressed. It doesn't lie. The, your food doesn't lie in your ability to be sinless. Your, your food doesn't lie in your having enough faith. Your food doesn't lie in having the perfect family. Your food doesn't lie in having a secure job. Your food doesn't lie in people noticing you or recognizing you. Your food doesn't lie in value and worth you can get from things because all your value and worth is found in Jesus and him alone. Have you fed on the flesh of Jesus? And if so, what are you continuing to feed on? Are you continuing to feed daily? Or are you substituting true food for empty calories? 
Today, we're going we're gonna to receive communion together. And if you don't have a communion cup, there are some in the back. And I, I believe, are there gluten-free options back there too, Aaron? No? Okay. They haven't come in yet. All right. Well, we've got little cups of communion. Anybody not get a communion cup? Can you raise your hand and then walk around with one? Thank you. Right here in the middle. Anybody else get a communion, not get a communion cup? In the top of it is a little wafer. In the bottom is the, the juice. There are the two little compartments here. Communion is not the literal eating of the body of Jesus. It's not the literal drinking of his blood. But it, it is a continual reminder for us of where our true hope and satisfaction is. When we're crunching on this weird-tasting wafer, we're meant to remember that, that as we chew this, that really we need to chew on Christ. We need to feed on him. We need to be satisfied in him, that, that he alone is our life. He is the basic necessity. He is all we need. And as we drink the juice, it's a reminder that, that we needed his blood to be shed for us or, or else we would never, our sins would never be covered. The Apostle Paul gives us directions about how to remember and take communion. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. So you can take your little bread out here. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. I want you to hold this up and think, I'm remembering this is the body of Jesus. I need the body of Jesus. Just like I need daily bread, I need the body of Jesus to sustain me, to satisfy me, to fill me. I need Jesus more than I need food. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's not motorcycles, it's geese. <laughs> Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So he gives some correction here. He says, let a, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, but some have died. If we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we are not condemned along with the world. You know, so often we forget and we, we look to other places for bread. We look to other people, sources, things for bread. Let us not, let's not eat of his body unworthily as if we don't. Let's, let's confess those things to him. Let's examine ourselves. Let's ask his forgiveness for turning aside to any other thing to satisfy. Where we sought other bread, where we sought to self-atone. So let's just take a minute, say a prayer on your own.
whatever the Holy Spirit has brought to mind, an area where you have subtly been tempted to turn away, and let's confess that to him. Jesus, we confess that we're tempted to turn aside, to look to other things to satisfy. But thank you that you will never cast us out. You say that all who come to you, you'll never cast out. That you forgive us because your body was broken for us. You're, you were punished for our continual sins, our continual failings. So our hope is not in even our asking for forgiveness, but our hope is in the fact that, that you say that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to make us clean from all unrighteousness. So God, we do that and thank you that we are restored to you. And now, Lord, we, we take this bread, Lord, putting fresh faith in you to be our bread. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. So often we go thirsting for all kinds of things in life. We, we look to atone for our sins. We look to work hard enough to be good enough. We think that, well, maybe I know that Jesus wiped away all of our sins, but I still have to work hard. And we can thirst for this kind of self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction, self-justification. Jesus says, no, I want you to drink of my blood which is atoned for all of your sins once and for all. So as we, as we open this little juice up, let's drink it together and put our faith afresh in the fact that because his blood was shed, our sins are washed white as snow. And that now this cup that, that he has held out to us is a cup of the new covenant. Let's drink it together. Then the band come up and we'll close in song. Jesus, thank you for offering yourself to us as the true bread of life, as true food and drink for us. Your body, your flesh, your blood shed for us. I thank you that we find all of our worth in who you are because you've given us all of your worth. Thank you that we are not condemned because you were condemned for us. Thank you, God, that you are not angry with us because your anger has been poured out on Jesus fully. Thank you, Jesus, that you call us to come and that we can come because the Father has given us and called us to come to you. Enable us to respond with belief in you, Jesus, as our bread. In your name we pray. Amen.